I invite you to remain standing for our scripture reading. We'll be reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. Let's read God's good word together. Jesus said to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while, for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. So a few months ago, I was taking my car to get my oil changed, and I made an appointment and came in, dropped off my car and walked into the waiting room, and I started to wait. And then I waited, and I waited, and I waited. And it got to the point where I am, so I know how to change my oil. I'm not particularly skilled at it, but it got to the point where I could have changed my own oil and more time continued to pass as I was waiting. And I thought, okay, if, why did I have an appointment if, uh, if I was just going to sit here all morning? Anyway, so that's kind of the mind frame that I was in as I was waiting. And then they came out and they had gotten my car up. They hadn't finished yet, but they told me while they were checking it out, they noticed that my wheels were out of alignment. And I was like, I've spent half my day just waiting for my oil to get changed. And uh, there's a place on the corner that does it in 30 and, you know, however many, 10, five minutes. It seems like it goes down like every day, by the way. Anyway, so, so I was waiting. I was like, okay, I will get that done later. And, uh, and finally they got done and I got to go on my way and do whatever it was that I was impatient to do. And uh, later when I would get my alignment fixed, never came. Well, I was driving one day, a few, I don't know, uh, an indefinite period of time later, and I got this alert on my dashboard that said tire pressure alert. And uh, so I waited for the alert to clear so I could actually see what my tire pressure was. And I don't know about you, but on my particular model of car, it takes a long time for a tire pressure alert to clear so you can actually see your tire pressure. So I was waiting in suspense, and then it popped up and showed me the, the tire pressure of each of my tires, and one of them looked like a countdown. It was like 19, 18, 17, and I was like, okay, not good. And uh, I quickly turned into a parking lot and uh, got out and was greeted with a a flat tire. And uh, the cool thing was I'd been at a conference that morning and was in a suit, so I got to change a tire in a suit. Uh, The jacket came off, but uh, that, that was a lot of fun. You know, one of the things that I also learned, it's a good idea to periodically check the pressure of your spare tire just, uh, just, just so you know. So uh, I changed it, and uh, I, when I was looking at the tire, it didn't. I looked, and it looked like it had plenty of tread, you know, for everything that I could see. Whenever I took the tire off, I realized that the outside of it was fine. The inside of it that I couldn't see, that I could see wires. And uh, that's, that's not, if you can see wires on your tire, that's not good. And, and so I realized, like, all of this, you know, I'd been driving on this. I was really fortunate that something hadn't happened while I was on the interstate. But, uh, but I've been driving on these tires that were terrible. They looked fine on the outside, but because the alignment was off, they, all the wear was happening on the inside of the tires where I couldn't see them. And uh, so anyway, I got, it, it was okay. I was in South Oklahoma City, so I took May all the way up uh, to, uh, 
home up here and bought some new tires and and also was was reminded that my perception of how much tires ought to cost is way too low (laughs) but uh anyway so so that's fixed and uh i'm next time i'm told i need to get my alignment uh fixed i'm going to do it but um you know we we sometimes feel like that and uh out like we're out of alignment and i don't think that's just true for our tires uh it just feels like sometimes we just we're really just trying to do the stuff we have to do to get through the day you know i've just got to get through this so i can make it to bed and and collapse into my recliner for a while before i go to sleep and uh just got to get it and and we don't even have time to think about you know are am i spending my time the way that i want to am i spending my time in a way that is aligned with my priorities and uh, and a lot of times we just have to go and what happens is whenever our priorities our values our schedules are out of alignment things begin to break down right you find yourself on the side of the road and you're thinking okay how did i get here this is not the place that i was aiming for but here's the reality that we live in most of us are running so fast we don't even have time to ask whether we're living in alignment right it's not how am i you know am i spending my time today in a way that is aligned with my values it's like no i've got to get kids fed and then they've got to take a bath and then they have to go to bed and then i've got to just try to breathe for a little bit before i have to go to bed you know that your your mileage may vary or life stage may vary but a lot of days just feel like that and we just have to get through today and and things will slow down whenever we get to insert next milestone right uh, it, for me it was i was just waiting for things to slow down once we would get past christmas and and now i don't know maybe it's maybe it's after we get past easter in the church world but y- you know how it is you wait till things slow down and then it's time for the next thing and they don't slow down and uh we live in a society that makes it really hard to slow down there are things just seem like they're accelerating there's in fact there's a, a german social theorist who talks about it as the phenomenon of of social acceleration where you have to keep you have to go faster and faster just to keep up and, and i think about you know whenever i was a kid it seemed like if you were playing aau basketball that meant you were you know you were really doing well you were really trying to play in college or something like that. And now it's like it feels like you have to play AAU during the summer if you want to play in middle school. Right? I mean, it's like it feels like a different world. I don't actually know that much about basketball, but anyway, I think you get what I'm getting at. We have to do more and more and we have to do be, you know, learn new technologies and figure out how to use them well if we're just going to keep up. And that just continues and continues so that we're all exhausted. You know something interesting? There's a study recently that found that we actually have more leisure time than past generations. But does anyone feel like that? No, like no one believes that. They're like Brandon, that is not a true statistic. But we have so many options now, so many different ways that we can fill it that it doesn't feel like we have more time because there's increased pressure that we're dealing with. And so everything in society is making us feel like we just have to go faster and faster and do more and more. But here's the thing I have to remind myself, you know, if I'm if I'm tempted to to blame that on society, I have to remind myself that we may live in a society that makes it hard to slow down, but it's still a choice. If my life is crazy then a lot I I have a lot to do with that. I can choose to be less busy than I am, but usually I don't. I just don't because I don't want to miss out because there are so many great opportunities that I have or there are things that I feel like I have to do or there are things that my kids could do and I don't want them to miss out on something. And and here's the thing we we don't want to miss out, but striving not to miss out on anything, it's a surefire way to miss to ensure that we miss out on the most important things. Right if we're just going from thing to thing from event from event to event from task to task then we're going to miss out on the people that we're actually trying to do those things with and we won't actually get to spend time with the people that we're trying to spend time with because we're too busy doing all the things so that we don't miss out on anything 
Does that, anyone feel like that? And that's what my life feels like a lot of days. And it's hard for us, even whenever we are present, to, to be present because we're thinking about the next thing. And, you know, there'll be days whenever I'm sitting at the dinner table and, and I start thinking about something that happened earlier in the day or there's a task that I left unfinished and I've got to figure out when I'm going to do that. And then I hear, Dad, are you listening to me? And the answer is no, because my brain is somewhere else, right? I mean, I, I may not be doing something else, but my brain's trying, I'm trying to think of what's the next thing that I've got to do. And Rowan Williams talks about that. He talks about this with regard to our prayer life. Sometimes, we, you know, we try to spend time in prayer with God, but it's difficult to actually still your mind, to still your spirit, and to be present. And, and I love the way that he, I think how he says it is so spot on. He said, it's been said that the real problem in prayer is not the absence of God. It's the absence of us. It's not that God isn't there. It's that nine times out of ten, we are not. We are all over the place, entertaining memories, fantasies, anxieties, God is simply there in unending patience saying to us, so when are you actually going to arrive? When are you going to sit and listen to stop roaming about and be present? And uh, I, think, I think about that. That's true in a lot of aspects of my life. And I can kind of ask myself the same question. So Brandon, when are you actually going to be present instead of just trying to figure out what the next thing is or being somewhere else or what you can accomplish? I mean, that's kind of the sickness that we have as a society, that we've always got to be working on the next thing. We've always got to be productive. That's how we show the, our worth. That's how we prove our worthiness in society is, is what we can accomplish. And, uh, you know, whenever we're at home, we've got to figure out how can we do the things that we do even better? How can we optimize so that I can put away all of my laundry in, seven, in 15 minutes instead of 17, which is where I was last week because I have a metric with that? But I, I wonder, are we going to have, like, like, activity trackers soon that are going to be, like, 17 minutes spent folding laundry? laundry. Yeah, maybe. But I, and then we can optimize it and we can get it down to 14. That's not really the way that I want to live my life. And, and yet that's where I find myself way too often. And so during the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the life of Jesus and, and what he has to say to us about living a life that's actually aligned because that's what he shows us in his life, is a life that's actually aligned with the things that are most important. And uh, one of the great reminders we got in last week's sermon when Bishop Jimmy Nunn was here is he reminded us that the, what Jesus says is the most important thing, the two most important things are loving God and loving others. And then whenever those things are in alignment, the other things take care of themselves. There may be things that are hard, but if those are in alignment, things will take care of themselves. And so that's what we're trying to do because what Jesus says, the reason that he came, this is what he says in John 10, 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I feel like maybe we could substitute hurry for the thief there. Uh, busyness comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But why did Jesus came? He said, I came that they may have life and have it what? Abundantly, an abundance of life. And he does that. He doesn't just tell us about it as he's doing here, but he actually models abundant living. He shows us through the way that he lives what it looks like for us to live that kind of life. A lot of times we pay a lot of attention to what Jesus says about himself and what the church has said about him, the things that we believe about Jesus. We pay a lot of attention to his teachings. Well, at least ideally we do. Maybe we don't do that. But, but a lot of times we don't pay attention to the things that he actually does, the way that he actually lived in the world. And that teaches us a lot. And whenever we think about that, that, that actually can change things for us because our goal is to live as disciples of Jesus. Or maybe another way of thinking about that is as his apprentices. Because disciple is one of those words that's become so churchy, like it doesn't mean anything besides it's something that you say at church, right? I mean, does anyone describe people as like a disciple? I mean, maybe 
if you do, you're making reference to the church thought. And so another way to think about that is, is as an apprentice. And you think about like someone who's becoming an electrician starts as an apprentice. And if we approach electricity, becoming an electrician, as we do a lot of times, sometimes discipleship in Jesus, it's like, okay, you take a lot of Bible studies and you get a lot of knowledge in your head and then you know all the stuff you're supposed to do. Now, does anyone want an electrician working on your house who has read all the books and gone to all the studies but hasn't actually worked on an electrical box before? Like, no thank you, that your house is going to burn down if that happens. We need to actually do the things that we're going to do. That's what apprentices do. They study under a master, and then they begin to do the things that their master did. And, and that's, what, uh, that's what we're going to be looking at for the next several weeks during the season of Lent. We're starting a week early. This is like week zero or the preview. Lent is a season of preparation, so today we are preparing to prepare. But uh, this is what we're going to be looking at. We'll be, going, um, we'll be utilizing a book by John Mark Comer called Practicing the Way. You can pick that up if you want to follow along with that. But this is what he says. He, he says our goal is to follow Jesus, is to become his apprentice, is to organize your entire life around three driving goals. Be with Jesus, become like him, do as he did. Be with Jesus, become like him, and do as he did. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. What are the things that he did? How can we, how can we do those things? We have to know what they are before we can do those things. How can we spend time with him? How can we become more like him? That's what we'll be over the next few weeks. And, and if we look at his example, one of the things that he shows us is he frequently withdrew and prayed and rested. And uh, so this is, you can find examples of this all through the Gospels here, just a few. Um, this one's from the beginning of his ministry in, in the Gospel of Mark. It says, That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered around his door. And so this was someone who was in demand, right? It wasn't just that Jesus didn't have a lot going on. People wanted his attention. But the way that he spent his time is instructive for us. And in the next morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you. And it's kind of like, I imagine Jesus felt kind of like someone who, with small kids who's tried to go to the bathroom, and it's like, everyone is searching for you. You get no moments of peace. But, uh, but Jesus prioritized that. Despite the fact that everyone was searching for him, he made intentional time to withdrew. I, I think he even went to a deserted place so that people would have a harder time finding him because he knew how important it was to get away in order to spend time with God. We also read about it in, uh, later in the Gospel of Luke, um, later in his ministry. It said, Now more than ever, the word about Jesus spread abroad. Many crowds would gather to hear him to be cured of their diseases, but he would withdraw to deserted places and pray. And so this was part of his rhythm. He would be in ministry, he would heal people, he would care for them, but he would also take time to withdraw and to pray. He had this rhythm of working and not working. And uh, this one may be my favorite. This is uh, when his disciples were, um, they'd just been teaching and, and were getting onto the Sea of Galilee. And says, it says, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. A windstorm arose on the sea, so great that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was what? Asleep. So this huge storm was coming up, and he was on a boat, and, uh, and yet he was taking a nap. I mean, Jesus was a champion napper. If you can sleep through that... That's super impressive. I cannot sleep like that. I'm kind of jealous of Jesus. But, but this is, he puts such an emphasis on rest that he could even sleep through a storm. And, uh, and so I have to wonder, like, if Jesus could rest, maybe, maybe I can too. I mean, I'm pretty important, but, uh, but maybe not as important as Jesus. Maybe. 
So, so that's what we're looking at and going through and asking, how can we learn from this? And this is an important time to do that because we're entering into the season of Lent, which is a 40-day season, not including Sundays, of self-examination, fasting, and recommitment leading up to Easter, whenever we take a look and see how our lives aligned. And, and part of the reason that we do this, that we practice this season, is because that's what Jesus did before he went into his ministry and after his baptism. And so after he was baptized, Luke tells us, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he, for 40 days, was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. And so he spent this time preparing, facing temptation, and fasting so that he would be ready. And, and so that's what we do during the season of Lent. We, we take time to reflect, to prepare ourselves. Many, in many traditions, there's fasting. I don't know if you've noticed, but this is the time of year when you start to see fast food fish sandwich commercials. That's because it's Lent. A lot of particularly Catholics will fast from meat, and so uh, fish sandwiches are okay. You're not having your Big Mac, but your filet of fish. That's cool. And so anyway, it, it is interesting to see the way that the church affects the broader culture. Maybe not the way you would have expected, but I'm telling you, watch for the fish sandwich commercials right now. Uh, they're, they're out there. But, uh, but this is what the season is about, not necessarily eating more fish sandwiches, but taking a look and asking where our lives are out of alignment with the way of Jesus. And we begin to realign them, to realign our values, to say, how am I spending my time? Is that alignment with the way that Jesus shows me and the way that he tells me to live? Is it in alignment with loving God and loving my neighbors? And and one of the ways that we can do that is to actually practice the things that Jesus practiced, to actually put into practice the things that Jesus practiced, to live our lives by the rhythms that Jesus lived his. And, And this is how John Mark Comer talks about that. He says, Jesus' life rhythms or the details of his lifestyle have come to be called the spiritual disciplines. Whatever you call them, these habits, practices, or spiritual disciplines are how we follow Jesus. They're the things that we actually do. And so whenever we talk about the spiritual disciplines, the means of grace, spiritual habits or practices, you can call it, Maybe not whatever you want, but a lot of different names. And so whenever we talk about things like prayer, reading the Bible, spending time in community, fasting, serving others, all those things, we do them because that's what Jesus did, because these are things that Jesus actually did with his life. And whenever we practice those things, we open ourselves to God's transforming power. Because we can't transform ourselves. Like, we can't just say, all right, I'm going to be holy, boom, done, right? It doesn't work like that. It's, it's, it takes a power beyond our own. But what we can do is enable ourselves, prepare ourselves to actually receive that power. And Ruth Haley Barton says it better than I do. She says, what I can do is create the conditions in which spiritual transformation can take place by developing and maintaining a rhythm of spiritual practices that keep me open and available to God creating a rhythm that opens us, that enables us to, to receive that power and that transformation in our lives. So that's one, I'm teaching a class this Lent. Uh, it'll start the 21st. That's what we're going to be doing is looking at those individual practices week by week. If uh, that sounds like something you're interested in, love, you, love to have you. If that doesn't sound like something you're interested in, Pastor Robert and Pastor Tim are going to be teaching great classes too. And so I won't take it personally if you take their class, but uh, we're all in this together. But there are lots of great opportunities. And so I hope you will think about how is God calling me to grow during the season of Lent. But one of the practices that we're going to be looking at that I want to share with all of you, not just the people in the class, is the practice of Sabbath. And I think this is one that we really need to pay attention to because I believe it's a keystone habit that can open us to an entirely different way of living. I think in a world whenever we feel like our lives are going crazy, when things are going faster and faster and faster and we can barely keep up, the habit of Sabbath is something that can transform 
the rest of our lives. If we can take a day to rest in God, then it might transform the other six days as well. And, uh, and if you've grown up like me, maybe Sabbath is something that you like heard about in church. I remember when I was a kid, like you know, we learned the Ten Commandments, and one of those is remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And, and so what, basically what that meant was like I went to church on Sundays, and then I didn't have a job, so I was really good at the not working part. Like I was 100% on Sabbath observance, at least by that measure. But it, it seems like something, it's like, what do I do with that if I don't have a job? You know, does that actually mean anything then? And, uh, and it, for a lot of people, it just feels like you shouldn't do anything. Like this is, for, for some people growing up, this is a day we couldn't go out to eat, you know, because it was the Sabbath. And so we just stay home and, and I have to go lay on my bed and be bored all day. And, and I think that is not uh, the vision that God has for us. It's actually something that, that is much bigger. It's something that began really at, at creation. It's written into the fabric of creation. And so this is what we read in, in the creation story in Genesis chapter 2. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished in all their multitude, and on the seventh day God finished the work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. And so I don't know exactly what it means to rest, you know, if you're God, but what I do know is that it says that God rested, and uh, maybe if that's something that God prioritized, then that's something that I need as well. And, and so it's written into the creation story, but we see this everywhere we look. Like, I mean, it's winter right now, kind of, I mean, depending on which day you check the temperature, but uh, ostensibly winter these days. And, and if you look around, uh, aside from the, the grass that has started to spring up because it's been warm lately, I mean, you look and you see trees, all the leaves have found off and, and they're in a fallow season. And if you see different animals, some of them are hibernating and, and they're in a season of resting. I mean, it, it's written into our very biology, this need for rest. Not only that, but it was written into the society in which Jesus lived. It was written into the fabric of the society that he lived in. And, and so much so that it was just taken for granted that Jesus observed the Sabbath. Because that's what people who lived where he did, when he did, in that culture, that's what they did. And, uh, and it doesn't, you can't actually find a place where it says, and Jesus rested on the Sabbath, I don't think. Because it's kind of like, you also can't find a place that, um, that says Jesus never murdered anyone ever. Right? I mean, it's just some things you take for granted. Like Jesus kept the Ten Commandments. He rested on the Sabbath. And so uh, was that surprising that Jesus never murdered anyone? To, okay, just wanted to check. It's kind of quiet. But, uh, but, but it's just taken for granted because that's what Jesus did. It's the way that you lived if you were part of that culture. And so what that looked like for them, for, for um, Jewish people at that time and even still today, the end of the day was considered sunset, right? Not some arbitrary time in the middle of the night, but actually when the sun sets, one day has ended and a new day has begun. And so at sunset on Friday, the, the Sabbath begins and continues until sunset on Saturday. And so you'd spend, sa- you'd spend Friday preparing so that you don't have to work on Saturday. And so you, you'd get food ready and, and take care of things that needed to be taken care of so that you can actually rest on the Saturday. But it was a day that, that you could rest, that you wouldn't do any work um, because that was the gift that God had given you. You would go worship at the synagogue and spend time with your family and when, with your community. That's the way that you would experience it. And, and in fact, it was so a part of the culture that it even affected the way that they responded after Jesus was crucified. And so uh, he, he was crucified on a Friday and died. And this is what we read in the Gospel of Luke just after his body is taken down from the cross. 
It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed, and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandments. And so if you, if you remember the story, you know that on Friday he was crucified, died, and buried, but it's on Sunday that he rises again, and it's on Sunday that the women come to the tomb and find that it's empty because they rested on the Sabbath. They, that it was so strong that even in the midst of everything that had happened, they didn't go to the tomb on Saturday because that was the day of rest. And, and so that's how, how integral it was to the way that they lived in their society. But for us today, it, it, it's not part of that, right? I mean, we kind of observed it, you know, in the 50s. We had blue laws. Everything was closed on Sundays. I don't really remember that, but I'm told that that was how it was. And, and you can say there are good and bad things about that, right? I mean, we live in a multi-religious society, and so um, there are there are things about that that are beneficial from that perspective. But, uh, but for us, it's really go, go, go. Everything, most things are open on Sundays. And especially in a world where we can get work email anytime in any place, um, it can just continue to come at you night and day. And for a lot of us, Sabbath can feel like an imposition, like an obstacle, or like an inconvenience, like something that I just have to do. And, uh, and for a lot of my adult life, that's kind of how I've treated it. And uh, Sabbath was basically just a day that I don't go into the office and try not to check work email. Does anyone get excited about that? Like, wow, today I'm going to try not to check work email. It's going to be an awesome day. Like, no, that is not particularly inspiring. I don't think. I mean, maybe it is for you. But uh, hey, what's your success rate on not checking email? Are you at 40%? Nice. Okay. That's not a metric that people are excited about. And and actually, if we look at it, if we look at the way that it's practiced, Sabbath is much more than simply not working, although it's not less than that. It it includes not working, but there's much more than that. And and for the people in, in Israel, Sabbath was a day of freedom. It was a day of freedom. It reminded them that God had set them free. And so one of the things that you notice if you read the Ten Commandments, you see that the commandment to keep the Sabbath is the longest. It gets the most explanation. And and you can find it in two places in Scripture. One of those is Deuteronomy 5. And this is how that commandment reads. It says, Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male or female slave or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock. And so that's how you can tell this is pretty serious. Like, make sure even your animals aren't working, right? I mean, this is not just, a, not just an optional thing. It's none of us are doing anything. Or the resident alien in your towns. And so you can't find people who are vulnerable and put them to work and just have them do it for you. This is a day when, as a society, we're all resting. So that your male and female slave may rest as well as you. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. And so the Sabbath in, in Deuteronomy is grounded in the fact that once they were slaves, and Pharaoh did not give them days off. But now they have a God who allows them to rest when they can actually stop from their labor and enjoy the freedom that God has given them. And so I think about that, and I'm like, and yet whenever I choose to work on the Sabbath, like, am I willingly going back to captivity? I mean, that's in essence what I'm choosing. And yet God gives us so much more than that. He gives us freedom. And not only that, the the Hebrew word that we're talking about, Shabbat, where we get Sabbath, it can mean both to stop, but also to delight, to stop from work, but also to delight in our rest and to celebrate 
the gift that God has given us. That, and, and for me, sometimes the way that I think about it in a, in a life, whenever it feels like things are just getting compressed and you're trying to squeeze more and more in, it's just space to be and to rest. And one of the things that we've tried to do in our family is, as we practice this, um, we're not pros by any, I guess you can't be pros. That would be technically impossible to be a pro at a day where you don't. Anyway, okay, that, that doesn't work. But one of the things that we've tried to do is just ask, what are the things that bring us delight? And so I'm not, I don't like cooking very much, and uh, I'm not particularly good at it, but one thing I do like to do is to make pancakes. And so Saturday morning, whenever it's a Sabbath morning, we, uh, we make pancakes, and it is is mostly good. Occasionally, I get it a little off, but uh, for the most part, any mistake you make can be covered by syrup, and it's delicious. And so, you know, that's something that brings us delight. For some people, mowing the lawn is great, right? I mean, you've got the the noise of the mower, nobody can talk to you, and if they try to, you can't hear them, and it's an escape, and so that's a, a delight. If you're someone who hates mowing or doing yard work, that's not something to do on the Sabbath, right? I mean, that doesn't bring you delight, but it is a day whenever we can stop, whenever we can rest, whenever we can delight, and whenever we can worship. And so for, for many people, the, and kind of traditionally, Sabbath has been on Sunday. Our culture has shifted, and so for a lot of people, we, we have to work on different days, and so that's not something we can take for granted. I, I have to work on Sundays. You may have noticed that. And so sa- Sunday is not my Sabbath. And so you can think about that. It's not something we have to be legalistic about. When does that actually work in your family? But here's the thing. We need to find ways to make it work. And, and, you know, maybe starting out, you you can't, 24 hours is like, I will lose my mind if I try that. But maybe four hours would work. And that's something that we can ease into. But but here's the thing, and I feel the resistance inside me too whenever I try to do it and and continue to do so. But, But if I'm too busy to give God one day, how am I going to make room for God to transform the other six days? Right? It's like, God, I want you to change me, make me the person you want me to be, but I can't give you a whole day. Like, that's, that's too much. And God's like, okay, that math doesn't quite check out, so we'll get there. But how is God going to change us? We have to find ways to actually open the space for God to do that. And whenever we do that, it makes it possible for us to be present in a different way the other six days. This is what um, Hebrew Bible scholar Walter Brueggemann says. He says, people who keep Sabbath live all seven days differently because we've intentionally stepped out of the way that our culture tells us it has to be, where we're just rushing and rushing and trying to be more and more productive to accomplish more and more things, to, to have all the experiences that we possibly can. And, uh, and yet we step out of that so that we can actually experience the life that God has for us, to actually experience rest at its best. And so what's that, what that's looked like for our family is, is we'll start it, and, and I really... I really think starting at sundown uh, makes a huge difference. We'll start with a meal. We'll have dinner together, and we'll light a candle. We've, uh, we had these taper candles on our, on our dining room table. I think they were decorative, but they're not anymore. So anyway, sorry, Courtney, um, that I lit those. But, uh, but we light a candle, and uh, we'll have dinner. And then afterward, we'll, take, we'll get another candle, and we'll just sit around it. I thought about taking pictures, but I was trying to keep kids and dogs from walking into the flame, and so I don't have one. Plus, you know, showing off how you keep 
Sabbath, maybe not super holy. So anyway, probably best that I don't have a photo. But, but we'll sit around the candle. We'll say a little prayer. I, I spent time looking for a Sabbath prayer, and then I was like, you know, you get paid to pray, so maybe you don't need to find one. And then I thought, even if even that, you don't have to be a professional, that's probably making it too difficult. And so we just say a little simple prayer, and it's just, God, we thank you for the Sabbath. Help us to rest, to be present to you and to one another, and to enjoy this gift, to find delight in you. And so you can just pray a prayer like that and, uh, and just experience that. Those rituals have power to open up space for us. And then one, of the, one traditional practice is, is to bless one another. And so I'll just say blessings over my kids. And the first time that we tried this, they both had stomach bugs. And so I just put my hand on their forehead and it was like, God, heal your body and give you rest. And that was pretty much it. And, and it's really, it's super simple, but also super powerful just to bless one another. And so Courtney and I will say blessings over each other as well. And uh, it doesn't have to be profound, but, uh, but it really creates a beautiful moment. And one of the things that I've found whenever I actually slow down is I see things, I notice things that I usually don't. And so after dinner on Friday, um, we were practicing Sabbath Friday nights and Saturday during the day, and, uh, and so we went on a walk, and I noticed the sunset. Do you know the sunsets every single day? But I don't notice it, right? I'm too busy. I'm doing other things, but I noticed it on the Sabbath because I was present in a different way. And uh, whenever I was sitting in a recliner reading and my daughter crawled into my lap and stayed there, Sabbath miracle, I think. She's two. But, uh, but she just sat there. I was able to, to recognize the beauty of that and actually be attentive to her in a different way than I usually am. It, it opens us to a different way of living. It creates space. We can breathe, and whenever we can experience life at its best. Because that's what Sabbath is really about. It's about experiencing the fullness of the life that God has for us. It's not about prohibitions. It's about actually experiencing that life and finding delight in God and one another. So I wonder if you think about how do we practice Sabbath in our lives? If you think about yourself, your family, here are a few questions that I think are helpful. They come from Ruth Haley Barton. She's a great writer. I'll be using her book in my class. But uh, she asked these questions. And so things to think about as you're thinking about how do we practice this. She asked, what activities will I refuse to engage in so that it is truly a day of rest and worship and delight? And so for most people, checking email does not bring them delight. And so that would be a great thing to refuse to engage in, if at all possible. Um, Think about mowing the lawn. If that's something you like, maybe that's a Sabbath day activity for you. If it's not, then don't do it. But what are the things that delight? So um, reading, playing games, going on walks, all those kinds of things are the kind of things that we do. Um, But, you know, sharing a meal with friends, all kinds of things that may look different for your family. But what are the things that I won't engage in so that I can experience delight? Maybe not shopping, maybe not social media. What are the things I'll refuse? And then what activities will bring me delight and how will I incorporate them? Because uh, just not working, again, not super inspiring. We need something to actually replace that time with something else that is positive. So how will I make room for delight? And what are the things that I'll do? And she also notes, like, maybe you don't plan it out super tightly to where, okay, we're going to go to the zoo at 9, and then we're going to go out to eat, and by 11 o'clock, we're going to be here, right? If you're, like, trying to keep everyone on schedule, maybe you're not going to have the, the Sabbath presence with your family. Like, you're ruining Sabbath for everyone. Get in the car, get your shoes on. That's that's not the way that I want to show up. And so if we just hold that lightly, you know, I want to go on a walk in the morning, nap and read in the afternoon. That's probably good. But what are the things that I'll do that'll bring delight? And then this is important. Actually put it on the calendar. Put the date on the calendar and pray that God will help you to honor the Sabbath and to keep it holy. 
You might just pray, God, you know, there are a lot of things going on in my work life and people call me all the time. Help me to trust you enough that I can say no to those. Help me to see what are the things that I need to tend to ahead of time and then help me to trust you with everything that happens after that and actually experience the rest that God gives us because it's a beautiful gift. And I think I can, I can be present for my family and my friends in a different way whenever I actually practice Sabbath. And so this is the invitation that Jesus has for us, the same thing that he gave to his disciples. Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest for a while. And you know, here's the thing. If we practice Sabbath, we're going to miss out on things. Like I promise, you will miss out on things. You will, not have, you will not have every experience you possibly could. There will be things that your family will not get to participate in that you may miss out on putting on your resume or your college application or whatever that is. But it might just help you keep your soul. So I want to invite you to try to practice that with me. Here are action steps for this week. And uh, first, I want to invite you to just choose to start Lent by worshiping with your community on Ash Wednesday. We'll be having a service at 7 p.m. It's a really powerful service, one of the most powerful things that we do all year. And so I hope if you can make it, that you'll be here. It's also great. It's really cool that people from both services are worshiping together. And so you see people you might not normally see. And um, I hope that you'll make that choice to be here on on Wednesday. And uh, I also want to invite you, make a plan today to take a Sabbath in the next seven days. And when are we going to do that? How will we do that? And just go through those questions. What are the things we won't do? What are the things we will do? And what's the day we're going to do it? And put it on the calendar. Because that's the invitation God gives us, to delight and to rest. And I hope that you'll join me in saying yes to that invitation. We pray with me? God, you know that we are so weary there's so many things that weigh us down that we feel like we have to tend to, and maybe even before we get out of this service, things that texts we have to answer, things we can't forget. God, help us to slow down. Help us to find rest in you so that we can be in alignment with your love and with your will, that we can love you fully and love the people around us as Jesus did and as he taught us So we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.